because the outside world rejects you. There hasn't really been anything quite like Ninja Turtles 1990. Four main characters, costumed with animatronic heads, taken to the big screen and becoming just as big as any movie star. It's truly something else, and in a league of its own. It's been 30 years later, and this movie still captivates the fans. And I would have to say, just from my experience observing the fandom, TMNT 1990 is the most beloved live-action version of the Turtles to date. Now, some of you may not have been around when this was going down in the 90s. I barely was, and based on my young memory and diapers, this movie was big. And the shockwaves of this film could be felt years after the movie's release. It's the perfect balance of dark and light that no other Turtles movie has been able to do since. It's funny that at the time, soon after the movie came out, it was considered too dark by some parents, and the following movies changed in tone and never had the same amount of success. Now I say that's funny because it had the tone that a lot of movies today that families and adults all go see and that end up being really successful have. In my opinion, Ninja Turtles 1990 was pretty ahead of its time. The Turtles and Batman 89 were really trailblazers in this dark but fun tone for comic book movies. They almost kind of have the same trajectory for live action. We saw Batman start with dark but fun movies like the Turtles, then go down the colorful goofy route, and this is where the similarities end. Eventually, they course corrected with Batman Begins and the Cape Crusader bounce back with a pretty awesome trilogy, and Batman in general, even after this, has been pretty awesome since. They know the tone that works for him. You think they're ever gonna go back to that? Unlikely. But somewhere along the years, the turtles just fell through the cracks and never tried to go back to what once worked, at least when it comes to live action. Now, what's so good about this movie? I hope you have a minute, because this is probably going to take a while. We're going to admire some of the technical aspects of this film that have kept fans coming back to this movie for years, and also take a look at this story about love, family, friendship, and of course, pizza. Today, we're going to take a look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, 30 years later. Now, I want to talk about the production design, and some of you may be saying production design, that's a weird place to start, but I don't think it is. There's so many interesting details in this movie. Things that would seem insignificant in another circumstance are actually very memorable things when it comes to this first Turtles movie, and has significance for the fan base. For example, just for argument's sake, outside of the production design category, on the VHS of this movie, the Pizza Hut commercial of a kid catching a baseball is ingrained so deeply in everyone's mind that most turtle fans know exactly what you're talking about when you mention it and i think even when it comes to stuff like production design much can be appreciated with this film and it's something that i gravitate towards most when i think about this movie this movie looks like real life 
something about newer movies, not just newer Turtles movies, but newer films in general, is that everything on screen seems so neat and clean and perfect, with the color grading seeming to be oversaturated to make the colors pop, and everything is overlit. When you watch this Turtles movie, it doesn't feel like a set or a soundstage. Everything from the locations to the wardrobe of the actors looks so lived in. Look at their clothes and even the bandana of the Turtles. Everything has sweat and grime on it, and at the time, made you feel like, whoa, these things are real, as if these turtles are in our world hiding in the shadows popping up to fight crime every now and then. The locations also give you this feeling. In my opinion, the best location in the movie is their home in the sewers. Everything there has bronze, rust, and earth tones type coloring. It's a real shame that they never use this location again in future movies. The turtle shade of green with their little bit of color due to their headbands looks so good in this setting. The lighting has a lot to do with it as well. They do a good job keeping them hidden in the dark, leaving much up to the imagination, which I think is a cool technique. But every once in a while, you get these harsh lights hitting them in areas, but it's not over lighting the set. There's still a lot of really dark areas to the frame that look amazing with these turtles emerging out of them. It made the turtles look so grand, like a really cool movie poster or desktop wallpaper, but it's entire scenes that look this way. There's also these little spotlights throughout the den that fill the composition of the shots and really looks great as you see the light travel through the haze in the room hitting all the set dressing, which when it comes to set dressing all throughout this movie, it all looks stellar. The sets are filled so well with everyday life clutter and trash and knickknacks here and there that are just eye candy when watching a scene. Even these little set elements look so lived in. There are multiple scenes where the set design is amazing like this. April's apartment, Shredder's warehouse, even the street and sidewalk as the pizza man is delivering a pizza to Mikey and Donnie. Take a moment to look at how awesome the frame looks. The neon light signs, the weathered beaten up down under sign, just the buildings themselves have so much character to it. The weathered doors and all the trash bags stacked on top of each other, and the glossy wet sidewalk with that sewer grate that looks dented in in areas, like New York foot traffic has walked all over it for years. Everything is all beat up and raw. The set design in this movie is something I feel isn't talked about enough and not replicated enough in today's movies. The writing of this movie is so thoughtful. It's interesting stepping back from the movie and picking everyone's story arcs apart. A tragic love story is at the center of it all. A story between Hamato Yoshi and Tang Shin and how Splinter trains his sons to fight, which turns out to be a catalyst for him getting to Oroku Saki once again and getting justice for his former master. A long journey of learning and suffering and exposing that the anger Oroku Saki has will ultimately be his downfall, which is displayed with the final calm move of finesse that finishes him. Now, with this at the core, there's also all these multiple stories weaved in between this, which how all these stories converge by the end of the movie is one of the more impressive features about this film. Leonardo seems to be learning to be the leader as opposed to already being the established leader. You can see him trying to navigate these waters as the movie goes on, at first with a passive approach to Raphael when he asks him where he's going as Raph heads out to the movies, then later on when things get a little tougher you see him kind of blow up a bit on Raph, but when Raph gets jumped he seems to just want to be there for him which sometimes as the leader that's all you can do. Now Raphael's story, at least from my point of view, seems to be of trying to control his anger. Splinter's 
concern for Raphael's anger is so believable and deep. Then when you see Raphael's anger boil over when Splinter is kidnapped, is a really dark emotional moment. We don't get enough of that in any of the future movies. He seems to overcome this, at least to a certain degree, when they get back from the farm and Leo and him get into another small debate about going out and looking for Splinter. His response appears to be a little bit more reasonable than before. Raphael's character growth is probably my favorite throughout the movie as he kind of takes the calm leadership role at the end of the movie when confronting the Shredder, Leo being the one instead learning what it's like to have his anger overtake him as he charges Shredder and gets pinned on his back. A stark contrast to how both the characters Leonardo and Raphael started off in the movie. Now to the untrained eye, Donatello and Michelangelo's story can be thrown to the side as just being comedic relief, but if you really stop and break it down, you'll see some cool details in there as well for the two characters. Donatello asking Mikey in one of the more beautifully shot sequences of the entire film, what if Splinter died is quite revealing. It shows how intelligent and thoughtful Donnie is. While all the other turtles have probably moved on with their day, taking what Splinter said is just another lesson in a series of lessons that he's taught to them before, Donnie seems to have taken it a little bit more seriously, trying to look ahead and strategize what would they do if this were to ever occur, which is a stark contrast to Mikey's reaction, who just wants to push it to the side and enjoy life in the present, as he doesn't answer the question. Although you can see it affects him deeply when Splitter does get kidnapped and he doesn't say a word at the farm, and later shedding a tear when they hear his voice at the campfire. It's also notable that when Splinter appears on the rooftop during that final Shredder fight, Michelangelo seems to want to run straight towards him, but Raphael holds him back. If you listen to the sounds of their fight with the Shredder, Michelangelo also seems to put up the longest, fiercest fight against him. Now, April's storyline has a pretty cool through line as well. She's trying to do this honest job of reporting and keeps hitting these roadblocks because the story sounds a bit far-fetched, but she has the inclination that something's going on and that people are in danger. Now, eventually pursuing this ultimately leads her to getting fired, only to be courted for a higher position at the end of the movie once she has proven to have been correct. Also, parallel to this, the movie shows her ability to fight back slightly increase as the story goes on. At the beginning, she's mugged, Never having dealt with something like this, she goes to just screaming for help and luckily is saved by the cops and the turtles. Later on, she tries to put up a better fight with Raphael's sigh and gets some hits in with her bag, but it's not enough. Though by the end of the movie, she is crawling on the pipes of the ceiling of the turtle den, knocking out foot soldiers with a pipe. A nice little subtle arc that can go unnoticed. Another great subtle character arc is the one of Casey Jones. Casey, a lone wolf trying to handle business on his own, learns the value of family and friendship is another arc embedded with all these others. Him learning the value and then preaching it to the foot recruits in Shredder's warehouse is quite the turnaround for the character. And of course, him and April falling in love is a pretty cool way to end the story considering it all started with a love story that Splinter witnessed and ends with another that Splinter and his sons cheer on. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Buyer beware. A local family is outraged over a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toy that they bought for their son. It says a variety of phrases, but the family believes one of them includes a swear word that starts with a B. Well, yeah, Rick, the tag that came with the toy says the phrase in question is, this is going to be epic. The family thinks the word epic is really a curse word. And we want to warn you, we're going to play it now. So see what you think. It says, this is going to be a bitch, and it drags it out.
As many of you know, as I've talked about in multiple videos, the design of these Ninja Turtles look phenomenal. I love the way they look in the opening sequence of the movie, right after the title card goes away. I don't know if I'm looking too much into it, but I like that Leo in this scene looks the tallest, like he's the older brother or something. Kind of how Benny looks in the Sandlot. He's a lot taller than the rest of the kids, and you kind of know he's the leader. Also, look at the reaction on Leo's face as Donnie is trying to figure out the correct word to say. Those expressions look so real, I can tell exactly the emotion they were trying to portray. He's looking at Mikey like, man, this guy's really struggling with his joke. But then when Donnie figures it out, he's like, hell yeah, man, it's so perfect. Then without breaking stride, he continues to lead the team back home. And of course you have Raph in the back, pissed that he forgot his sigh on the battlefield, which look at that strut, I don't care what anyone says. In this movie, he's the coolest turtle. I think if they were to do the designs like this in a movie today, it would be awesome. Just use CG to correct some of the parts where the suit connects to other parts of the suits and you'd be literally printing your own money, I feel like. The only thing that scares me is them not getting the facial emotions and movement of the mouth correctly. Jim Henson is a once-in-a-lifetime type of person, and I don't think I can see anyone doing as good of a job. It's been 30 years later, and there really hasn't been anything that replicates or matches this. Maybe Guillermo del Toro. Anyways, I'm always worried either way when it comes to live-action turtles. I worry when they're CGI because I know it won't look as good as these turtles, but then at the same time, I'm also worried that if they go back to animatronic faces, that the bar has been set so high on this technique that it's gonna be hard to match. They need to take a lot of time and care to develop this properly if they ever do go back in this direction. And also get some great talent for the martial arts inside of the suits. The 1990 movie, although limited by its constraints it had, has flashes and moments of brilliance when it comes to the actors that performed in the suits both the regular actors inside with their body language that conveyed perfectly what the character was feeling to the stunt actors putting on a show with their athleticism at the time. This coupled with the very natural performances of the human characters in the movie, which all come off as smooth, resulted in yet another enjoyable element of this movie, the acting from everyone. Now, the voice acting in this movie is also something they got perfect. The voices are so distinct and animated. For a long time after this movie, if the characters didn't sound similar to the way they sounded in this movie, I would write it off immediately. I've loosened up over time, but still, to me, this is the best they've ever done with the voices. I have to commend the Batman vs Ninja Turtles movie. To me, they've done the best with the voice acting since this movie. Go check that one out if you haven't caught that one. So many memorable quotes from this movie as well. Pizza dude's got 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. A Jose can say go back. Tell me, you didn't pay money for this. Regular or mental? The list goes on and on. And like I mentioned earlier, the dialogue is so smooth in the movie, everyone talks to each other like they've been living together for years. It doesn't seem like anyone's acting, all their voices blend so well. It's funny to hear the trailer without the finalized voices. It really makes you appreciate the voice acting in the movie. Literally at this point in the video, we've seen the designs of the turtles and the characters and how they look amazing. Same goes for the sets and production design. Every frame of this movie is so memorable beyond belief. The writing is so thoughtful too and spans multiple characters, at least in small subtle ways. And the dialogue is so quotable, natural, and smooth. Plus there's so much more to this movie technique-wise that I probably don't even understand. 
Now, throw on top of that the soundtrack to this movie, and we have something special on our hands. The score of this movie was done by John Duprez, and it's one of my favorite scores of all times, to be honest. The opening title song sounds so familiar and catchy, although I don't think it's been used in any of the cartoons or anything else Turtles related, but I remember even back then, it seemed like it had been a song you already heard and knew. The Shredder score is probably the most badass of the whole thing. On the rare occasion I work out or go running, or even when I'm just sitting around, I throw it on. I believe it's called Shredder Sweet. There's also the little flute jingle that plays as scenes are transitioning, which is so memorable. Then on top of that, we have all the songs by artists that are sprinkled throughout the movie that are so cool that it's my body it's my body song spin that wheel then there's 9.95 which everyone still quotes to this day and of course who could forget the best turtle rap of all time turtle power which made everyone believe Raphael was the secret leader of the team i implore you go listen to the soundtrack if you haven't heard it in a while the style and catchiness of it eclipses so many current soundtracks to movies it's got so much character and makes you appreciate this movie even more The turtles coming up to the surface after years of training to win their first battle against April's attackers, then to lose badly and have to retreat to the farm once the foot finds out about their existence is a cool, humbling experience to watch. But then when the turtles are back and are steamrolling through the foot, as their comeback is in motion, it's cool to see them stop in their tracks yet again as one at a time they try to take on the shredder and they slowly realize it's like they're hitting a brick wall. Raph fails, Leo fails, Mikey, Donnie, and then they all go at him and it's still not enough and they're almost defeated. I love the way this is structured. They could have easily gone with the turtles come back and they win, or they learn to fight as a team and they all win together. I love that it's not that easy. I like how it shows this epic struggle with little victories in between. The thought and detail given to this story about four turtles and a rat is something we may never see again on the big screen, at least not like this. Hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully one day, someone in charge of all this stumbles yet again on that 1990 movie one night while sitting on their couch, eating a bowl of ice cream, and thinks, man, they really had something here. We should go back and explore this. Happy 30 year anniversary to one of my favorite movies of all time, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles the movie. A movie that for a while people didn't really talk about. Recently this has changed and fans have come out and it's great to see how much this film has affected other people's lives like it did mine. It's a comedy. It's an action flick. It's a love story. But most of all, in my humble opinion, and I know in many of yours as well, it's a masterpiece. Pizza dude's got 30 seconds.